Wouldn't it be nice if you could go through and just kind of piecemeal out what you want in the Bible? The spiritual smorgasbord. Oh, I'll take a little of that, a little of this, a little of that, and I'll invent my own Christianity. And at the end of the checkout counter, well, there'll be a price that I feel I can pay. The problem with that is it's a distorted Christianity. Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry of Pastor Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho, the home of CSN. Today, Pastor Mike is teaching in 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter's discussing the relationship between husband and wife and submitting to those in authority. In our modern society, many people absolutely revile this section. But as Pastor Mike will teach today, you don't get to pick and choose what the Bible says. So with more, here's Pastor Mike. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to continue on looking at how Peter admonished his friends and fellow believers in going into a deeper relationship with God. Friends, that's something every one of us should endeavor to do, not because we think, well, I accepted the Lord a long time ago, I'm saved to set. A lot of times we think that. Well, I got mine, too bad about you. But you know really how to encourage us to be a testimony. Now, uh, that is something that we don't turn on and turn off. What we're going to find here this morning is Peter saying, it's what you are. It's what you are all the time. It isn't that, that we got, well, you know, it's Sunday morning. Let's turn on the Christian button. Hi, praise the Lord. And then Monday morning, we flip it off. Ah, you bunch of rotten people. You know, we go into our job or whatever. But actually, he's saying there's a consistency in our relationship with God. Now I realize, friends, in a very inconsistent world, to be a consistent anything is a miracle and a move of God. Because we realize that there's so many things that tear away at what we are as people, tear away at your cherub-like personalities, only to find ourselves being confronted with issues that are kind of uncomfortable every day. So let's pray. Father, as we read your word today, may your Holy Spirit convey to us Help us understand. May they become part of us. May you wrap yourself around us, Lord, that we would know and embrace, and God, that we would be more like you in everything that we do. And so, Father, may these words encourage us today. Remind us, God, of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week when we left off, and actually the week before, we we were actually studying about how important it was to love one another. We know that in spite of all the idiosyncrasies that people have, and sometimes the shortcomings people have, that we're admonished to love one another. Then we remember that we were to read the Word, that we were to desire the milk of the Word, the, then also the meat of the Word, which is then to do the Word of God. Then we also remember that in part of doing this, to abstain from things that take our heart away from God. That's what we studied a lot about last week. Because there's a lot of things that you can do that will damage your relationship with God. Now, that shouldn't come as any surprise, because if you follow after the things of the flesh, you're going to be uh, going against the Spirit of God that's in you. And we know one thing, that nothing in the flesh ever satisfies your soul. Isn't that true? You know, you can have every thing there is in the world and still have an unsatisfied soul. You can have every single luxury that there is and still find rich people killing themselves because there is an emptiness inside of them. 
So this is why the Bible tells us, what it tells us is, is saying here, is that really desire the things of God and watch out for the things that take your heart away from God. Now all of these are action words, they're verbs in the English language, which means you have control and access over these issues. In other words, it may not just come naturally where you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you go, Oh, I have no desire to do anything wrong today. No, you're going to have a lot of desires to do all kinds of things weird. But you know what it is? The Bible tells us that it's in His Spirit that we choose to do what's right over that which is wrong, knowing that in the long run and seeing through the eyes of God, that's where the blessings are going to be. And so, as he says here, abstain from fleshly lusts or things that take your heart away from God. Now, verse 13 Let's read, because we're going to get into the submission thing. We we talked about these verses last week, these last uh, five verses, but they'll, they'll, they go with today as well, so we'll just read them. So therefore, and again, every time you see the word therefore, it's predicated upon a previous thought that's been laid down. And by the way, friends, this is how Isaiah says we are to study the word of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And a precept is the understanding or the mechanics behind what you're reading. So you know why you have reasons why you do what you do. Why don't you do certain things? Because I go to that church and that church told me I shouldn't do those things. Wrong. You understand from reading God's word why it doesn't set well in your soul. It isn't a mindless rhetorical remark saying, well, I don't do certain things because, well, um, cause like I, I was told not to do this. It, it, we do certain things because we understand the logic behind where that takes us. So again, getting back to putting God first, loving one another, desiring the word of God, Abstaining from things that destroy your soul, therefore, now we're building, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to King Supreme or to governors or to those that are sent by him for punishment of evildoers for the praise of those who do good. Now, again, he's saying here, obey the laws of the land is what he's saying. Now, uh, we remember what Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. And what's really a miracle in this country, you get to go to the polls and determine who Caesar is. That's important. That's why it's really important to know how our candidates stand on certain issues. And remember, the television ads sometimes may or may not really represent what the person is. I mean, they may be uh, for a certain particular thing of building a monument in the city park and vote for such and such. He's going to put up the monument. And everybody goes, oh, monument, good. But they might be for abortion or they might be for gay rights or they might be for something else. Let me tell you, don't minor on the majors and major on the minors. There's something, again, the Bible tells us that the, the spirit of lawlessness is alive in this world. And we understand that we as, you might say, informed Christians and informed citizens need to uh, know that. So in other words, it doesn't matter how good they look. (laughs) What matters is what they vote for when maybe nobody else is looking. And of course, a lot of times they're not going to put on... Um, how they voted in key issues or how they voted for, the, you might say, the conservative justices that were just appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, they may not want you to know that. 
Because what they try to do is they try to come across conservative to the Christians and they try to come across liberal to the liberals and you really don't know where they stand. It's like a bar of soap in a shower. It can slip right out of your hand. So you need to really know where these candidates stand. Look and see where they're at and inform yourself. I think it's really important. Because, here's the reason why, as we just read, it is your obligation as a Christian then to submit to the powers that be. What is, again, such an amazing thing is we get to actually select who those powers are. Thank the Lord. So, as it says, or to governors, or as it says to the king. Now, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, he's saying here, and this, friends, is a, is a hard thing, because so many people want to know the will of God for their life. I mean, we all do. What is the will of God for my life? And, and we want, we pray, God, what is your will for my life? And it's like, we expect God to, you know, uh, like I say, always, you know, Angel on the hood of the car, go this way, this is my will. And that'd be really cool if we could get that, you know. But generally speaking, it's by the opening and the closing of doors of events of our life that God directs us in our life. But one of the things that we can find for sure, as we find in other places in the scripture where it says, give thanks in all things, this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Here it says, the will of God is that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now this gets down, friends, to what we call our testimony. And every one of us listening today has one. You know that? He says, you can put to silence their criticisms of what you are. Now listen, there are always, people are always going to criticize you no matter what you do. You're not going to be liked. And by the way, moms and dads, with your kids in school, don't ever tell your kids, hey, honey, you know, if you be a cheerleader or you be a, uh, you know, a class president, everybody's going to like you. Well, let me just tell you something. First of all, you don't want everybody to like you. Um, Jesus said, which of the Old Testament prophets didn't they, they persecute? And we understand that if you're going to be of anything in this life, if you're going to have any kind of a, a dynamic, you're going to have people, even that carry Bibles, come after you and want to kill you. It's just the way it is. It's all the way through the Bible. This isn't something new. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Do you realize all the people that plotted Jesus' death had the rolls of Scripture right there on their shelves and under their arms and bound around their arms and around their foreheads and the little faculty boxes that they would would have. They, all, they had all the Scriptures. They didn't know the author. And in the New Testament, we find that the Roman government really initially wasn't against Christians. It was the Judaizers, those that thought they were of God, going around, stirring up people against the Christians where the government came in. And then it became a popular thing especially by the time of Nero, to, to kill Christians and to blame whatever went wrong in the empire upon the Christians. Some people believe that uh, Nero actually burned Rome and then blamed the Christians. Is that something new? No. Do you realize Adolf Hitler blamed all the financial problems of the world during the Depression upon the Jews and indirectly upon the Christians as well? And so therefore he could muster the hatred to murder some six million plus Christians and, and, and Jews? in the gas chambers and, and uh, in Auschwitz and the other places, uh, we, we realize that scapegoating and blaming somebody else, you know, hatred unites people much quicker than love does. It's really true. So you've got to be careful to make sure you don't, uh, you don't ever allow yourself to become uh, tangled in that. 
But he says that you, by your testimony, would suppress these kinds of things that go on because your testimony does matter. People see that. And he says, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cover up for evil. Some, some of your Bibles may say a cloak for vice. That sounds like, you know, you might see Don Johnson running out in a, and never mind. But actually the word here, it says as free, not using your liberty as a cover for evil, but as servants of God. You know, some Christians do that. They say, well, you know, I can sin because God will forgive me. So if I steal this or lie here, God's going to forgive me. Well, that's a dangerous place to be. And he says that here. He says, don't use your liberty in Christ Jesus as an excuse or a cover for doing something evil. But as servants of God, honor the people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. That's, again, friends, a a marvelous way to live where you can live without remorse in your life. So he goes on in verse 18 then, and he begins to direct this down now to daily living. And you'll find as it steps down, it becomes more daily as we read on. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Well, I'm sure glad we don't have servants, so let's just read the next verse. Hold it. Yeah, we do. Anybody here, if you have a job, you're a servant to your boss. Now, the differences between now and many of the people that Peter was writing to in these days is that you didn't get to go home at night. You were their slave all the time. That's what he's talking about, the servants. But when you serve your boss, you have sold him your time for so much money per hour. So if you work for, you know, $7 an hour or $20 an hour, that is the time in which you are doing for your servant or for, for your master what you've agreed to do. So he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and the gentle, and those are generally speaking pretty easy. Have you ever had a really good boss that you really liked? Isn't that great? Aren't they nice? You know, they're understanding and they're long-suffering and they put up with all kinds of uh, crazy stuff that employees do and things like that. It's a wonderful thing. Well, yeah, okay, I can love that kind of a boss as a Christian. But boy, you give me one of those hard, flint-nosed bosses, man, I want to kick you. I want to get him fired. Well, unfortunately, this is what the Bible says here to the opposite. Fear not only the good and the gentle, but also the harsh. Oh, man, I don't like, let's just mark this out, okay, and then we'll move on. Wouldn't it be nice if you could go through and just kind of piecemeal out what you want in the Bible? Kind of, you might say, the spiritual smorgasbord. Oh, I'll take a little of that, a little of this, a little of that, and I'll invent my own Christianity. And at the end of the checkout counter, well, there'll be a price that I feel I can pay. The problem with that is it's a distorted Christianity. And friends, today, so much of what we may even hear, coming from Christian Christian television sometimes, that it's a distorted Christianity. In other words, it's not 100% God's Word. It's been diluted by a lot of the ideology and the philosophy of today. So in other words, be nice to those who are nice to you and forget the rest. Well, that's not Christianity. And here's the reason why is we're going to read on because we do not live in a utopian society. In other words, everything don't go our way. Now, I wish it did. And this side of heaven, 
We're not going to see that. On the other side of heaven, it's going to be God's way. But being our heart and nature is in God, it'll be going, we'll all be going the same direction. That's why I believe the Bible says as we're going to be the bride of Christ. It's because we're all of the same heart. But notice what he says here. He says, not only the good and gentle, but to the harsh. For it is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief and suffers wrongfully. What credit is it? If you are beaten for your fault and you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer for it, if you will take it patiently, this is commendable before God. In other words, he's saying God is the rewarder of of that. The old saying, no good deed will go unpunished. You heard that? Well, it kind of falls into that category. He said, yeah. He said, yeah, you, you realize when you do something wrong, you deserve to be beaten. Yeah, I, you know, I zigged when I should have zagged. And I need to be beat. But he said, when you don't do anything wrong, and you're still beat, sometimes you might even say that you didn't even do it. Somebody else did it, and you get the blame for it. He's saying, look. He says, if you do this and take it patiently, it says, this is commendable before God. For to do this, you are called. I don't like that. Let's mark that out. Let's change that. Can't. See, that's, that's what God says. To do this, you are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you would follow in his steps. There's a book out called In His Steps. It's interesting. But it talks about how just as Christ suffered, we will suffer too, friends. And so understanding that oftentimes the way that we endure the, you might say, the misuse and the abuse ministers to people. Remember this, Paul the Apostle. Before he was Paul, he was called Saul in the New Testament. Very likely he was the 12th disciple that took the place of Judas Iscariot when he hanged himself. Now we remember Matthias, which the disciples cast lots for. They went gambling to find out who's going to replace uh, Judas Iscariot. Whammo! Oh, it looks like Matthias. Well, interesting. We never hear of this guy ever again. Now, will he be one of the apostles in heaven? I don't know. But one thing for sure, Paul recognizes himself as an apostle. And and one of the things that we remember is that God ministered to Saul while he was yet unconverted as he would go around killing Christians. He would hold the coats. He would watch over the coats while, while his little thugs went out and killed Christians. He would make sure nobody carried off the coats. And so when he's on his way to Damascus, this is in the book of Acts, God laid him out on the road. And as he's laying there, the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds and he says, well, who are you, Lord? That's a troubling statement if you think about it for a minute. He's out trying to do something for God, and yet he's saying, who are you, Lord? Kind of tells you that maybe people's zeal can override their conscience. You'll find this sometimes. Well, what is amazing there. Is it, it says, it's hard for you to kick against the prickings or the proddings of the Holy Spirit. No doubt as he would go out and persecute Christians and put them to death, uh, there was something inside of him that, that was going, something isn't right here, and these people are allowing this to happen to themselves, and they're not picking up the stones and throwing them back. And Jesus said, it's hard for you, isn't it? He said, the conviction is upon you. And we remember that at that moment, Paul 
or Saul was converted to the name Paul. And we remember that he became a major, major hitter in Jesus's team. But it happened because of the willful abuse that the Christians allowed in their life for this man to become saved. You know, a lot of times we, we look at people like, like Paul and in the New Testament and we think, oh, what a great, great man. And, and truly he was. I mean, much of the New Testament that we read, Paul the apostle wrote. So this guy was not only well educated in the time, but he was also had a great understanding of background concerning Jewish things. Uh, He was a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee, schooled by Gamaliel. And we think, oh, how brilliant. What a good catch he was. But you know what? Few of us stop to think of what the ingredients were to get Saul saved. And I believe those Christians that were martyred As Saul watched those people die in the name of Jesus. And by the way, that really bothered Saul because, or Paul, because he would oftentimes mention that, that he was the least in the kingdom of God. And the reason why his conscience bothered him for what he did to the church before he was saved. But friends, he would not have gotten saved, I believe, had his conscience not been pierced. And how is it pierced? By a Jesus bumper sticker on his chariot? No, it was by the blood of the saints that willfully laid their life down as we're reading about here. And they saw it. Saul saw it. And it convicted him. And that's the one of the first things that Jesus nailed him on. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the prods of the Holy Spirit or the pricking of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I, have you ever stuck yourself with a needle? Man, it hurts. And I'm sure that's exactly what Jesus was, was referencing. He's saying, it's hard for you. It's poking you. It's sticking you in your heart. And we remember from that time forward, Saul then became Paul, was never the same man since. But remember, there was a price to pay for Saul's conversion. It was the blood of the saints that went before him. Let's look on. He says, For to do this again, verse 21, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. This is found in Isaiah chapter 53, one of those Old Testament prophetic chapters that directly spoke of who Jesus was and who he would be. And as as an ongoing statement to the entire Jewish nation, that Christ, in fact, was their Messiah. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Again, when we have communion, friends, and uh, we've talked about this before, but we have the little cup, and everybody goes, oh, that's a representative of Jesus' blood. And the bread, uh, Jesus, as we remember in the last room, picked it up and he broke it, and he passed it around. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we don't really understand a lot of times what that is. Most every Christian knows that the cup is, is, is of the blood is, is for the forgiveness of sins and that reminds us of Jesus' blood on the cross. But as it says here, by whose stripes you were healed. That's really important. 
That's Pastor Mike Kessler with It's Time. I'd like to take this moment to invite you to get your free copy of It's Time to Grow, the new believers booklet written by Pastor Mike. It's Time to Grow answers many of the questions new believers have in a clear and concise manner, followed by the scripture references for each statement made. It's Time to Grow can be yours simply by dialing 800-357-4226. That's 1-800-357-4226. Or you can order it online for free at csnradio.com. Don't forget, if you'd like a copy of today's program, you can call our toll-free line I mentioned before, and that's 1-800-357-4226. Also, the daily free podcast is available through iTunes by searching for It's Time in the iTunes Store. On behalf of Pastor Mike and all of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.